0: Well, this morning, uh, the message, the title of my message is that life can be misinterpreted or life can be misunderstood. And, you know, often whenever we are taking momentary glances, Whenever we are looking at things that, um, or even if we take a long, hard look and, and look at things, often we throw things in a, in a scale, in a balance, in, in good or bad, and we, 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 we look at that and say, well, it, it looks bad, <laughs> you know, it it doesn't look so good. And I guess we could say that today we have a couple of families that are out with COVID and different things going on, and so if you look at the scale, it's like, ooh, you know, This this, this is not good, Uh, but in the long term, we have to look at things as how that God is looking at them. And today's message, or today's lesson, I think of it as, is one in which we are, the person is challenged to understand what's going on in life and how that not everything in life can be interpreted from where we stand. Not everything in life can be interpreted from where we are at. So... The challenge then is to see that there's something beyond where we're at. Now uh, I know that that's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, You know, where are you going to be 10 years from now? I don't know. Where are you going to be 10 minutes from now? Well, if he quits preaching, I'll be out of here. So (laughs) the the idea is, where are we going to be? What's going to happen? So there are short-term plans and long-term plans, short goals, long goals and all those things but they are kind of a way that we put things out in front of us that we work to work towards but whenever we see the challenges of life and we see the changes in life each of them have emotions or feelings or reactions or passions you know perspectives and and we look at them and say oh this is bad or oh this is good because of the feeling or the expectation that if this happens, this, this is going to follow the domino effect and it's going to be a really bad scenario. We can't do that. <laughs> we can't allow ourselves to go down that particularly that particular road. Sometimes our decisions are knee-jerk reactions. Now, many know what that is. You know, you sit on the table and your knee, your leg's bent down and they, they hit you right below the kneecap. Boom, and what happens? <laughs> your leg goes out. So that's called a knee-jerk reaction. Well, sometimes our life and the things we do are knee-jerk reactions. An event happens, and boom, we do something. It's like, why did I do that? I don't know, but I did it. You know, it's just one of those knee-jerk reactions. So we are, we are set up somewhat in our thinking and approach to life as to be this spontaneous individual. Um, look at the uh, commercials. I always, I don't... I I try not to watch much TV, but, you know, I watch the commercials. What's your favorite commercial? Anybody have a favorite commercial? Huh? None? I think, well, I, I like the car ones, you know, where they're going through the sand in slow motion and the wheels spinning and the sand is going off. You know, it's like, wow, this car can float through sand. And then, of course, I like the, The one in in which the guy's sitting in there, it's the perfect lighting. You know, it's a Lincoln, you know, it's perfect lighting. The the guy's sitting there, the character, he's, you know, a movie star, character's doing this thing and he's going there in perfect lighting. It's like, you can't feel any better than this. (laughs) And of course the new one is uh, the quarterback, you know, for, used to be the quarterback for the New England Patriots and he's now the What's his name? He's in Florida now. Brady, Brady Tom Brady. He, he starts out, did you see this commercial? Tom Brady is sitting in there, and it's almost like it's a perfume commercial. You know, and he's, the scent and he's whatever, and he's getting a bottle, and he lifts it up, and it's a loaf of bread. And it came from Subway. And how wonderful this loaf of bread is. It's almost like you can smell it. And then it ends by saying, he doesn't eat bread. (laughs) Okay, so what are they trying to get us to do? We're trying to, you know, especially, you know, at the right time period in the evenings, they have these food commercials on. Why? (sighs) So we go to the refrigerator and get something to eat. So anyhow, we have all of these things, and the whole approach to our society is that you don't have what you need, and here it is in front of you. This, this commercial, this object that you can have, this, this loaf of bread, is, there's an emotional attachment to it. <laughs> like it's a loving experience. Oh, well, back to basics. There are needs and wants. <laughs> there are needs and there are wants. And most of the time, what we want is not what we need. <laughs> like for us, there's no problem with food. You want food, go to the refrigerator. If you don't have it there, go to the grocery store. And if it's not in the grocery store and you want it quick, it, go to fast food. So everything is just, you know, whatever it is you want, you can get it in a hurry. Well, I always, again, I compare ourselves to El Salvador or even into Africa, and uh, there's no electricity in the rural community, so there's no refrigerators. So if you don't have a refrigerator, what are you eating at night? What are you eating during the day? You generally have to make it. You have to grow it, you have to make it because there's no grocery stores. There's no sheets or 7-Eleven, you know, there's no vehicles, maybe one or two in a in a community. And you know, people just it's like a subsistence existence. And of course, water in some of those places in the dry season. People, kids can walk for a whole day—six, four or five hours one way, getting water four or five hours back—and that's how they get their water for the day. So, how many of you thought of getting a glass of water and say, "Oh, this is really hard"? <laughs> you know, we go to the faucet, turn on the faucet, get a drink of water. Oh, I want cold water. I'll go to the refrigerator. Um, most people don't like just plain water. They have to have infused water. (laughs) They have to have bottled water. They have to have flavored water. They have to have water water. (laughs) So whatever. So one of the things that, one of our favorites, I've never seen people come to the counter at a sheets or whatever the store and says, you know what? I would like some bitter water. (laughs) Give me some bitter water. Well, (laughs) What do we want? We want something that is appealing to our tastes. Well, nutritionalists, here we go, nutritionalists say that bitter melon, I have no idea what a bitter melon is. Anybody know what a bitter melon is? Well, it is a cucumber shaped melon that tastes very bitter. It is packed with antioxidants. So it should be hitting the shelves shortly. And of course there's cranberries. I just just it up for cranberry. How many put cranberries out at Thanksgiving and Christmas? And what's the last, what is the least touched dish at Thanksgiving and Christmas? The cranberries you put on the table, you know. My mom always put cranberries out. Who ate it? I don't know. It's always bitter. And there was so much of it left over, she'd put it in the refrigerator. Until <laughs> she threw it away. So we don't like these things. We don't like these things that are bitter. But there is more to life than our existence. There's more to life than our bitter experiences. You know, short term, long term goals, whether it tastes bitter and whether the event is bitter or sweet in what we are experiencing, the, the goal is for us to have the ability, the 2020 vision, the ability to see long term, the ability to see things. You see, when we can't see 2020, we need corrective lenses, glasses, contacts, surgery to correct our eyesight. Well, in our faith, we have to have corrective vision, we have to have corrected eyesight, meaning that we believe that God is able to do beyond what we could ask or imagine. So that means that what is taking place, that there is a faith, there is a belief that is greater than what we are experiencing. Even if it is a bitter experience, we can believe that there is something greater going on and taking place. So I think one of the best illustrations for this is the book of Ruth. And I know we're doing the uh, book of Esther on Wednesdays and this kind of, fits in with the the whole concept of how that God has a plan and God has a purpose, even whenever we don't understand the plan or the purpose. Now, in the book of Esther, she's an orphan. Her mother and father are dead. She doesn't list that she has any brothers or sisters. She has a cousin, and he's the one who is raising her, and his parents are dead. So somewhere in this whole thing we've got a lot of tragedy going on to bring Esther to this place where she ends up in the palace but that's a whole that's a story for Wednesdays Ruth In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land so here's the need there's a famine in the land famine is there's no water there's no food people are starving My family's going to die because we can't get enough to eat. We've got to do something. So, a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. For a while. They went there to escape the famine. The man's name was Imelech, His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, And they went to Moab and lived there. So they didn't didn't have a vision. You like when Jesus, when he's a few when he's um, before the Herod comes in and kills all the children the two years, Mary, Joseph, Joseph has a vision. The angel says, get out of town because they're you know, you're in danger. So they get up tonight and flee to Egypt. Well, there isn't a fleeing because there's a vision. There is a there is a leaving because there is a need. Now, one of the things is that we would think perhaps uh, Naomi, the, the mother, um, she later on we know that she is tells everybody don't don't call me blessed. You know I, I'm I'm very bitter. Now, when you think and when I think of this, I think of she had expectations that were not met. There were things going on in her life and to her family that she didn't think should happen. So, verse three. Now in Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died. She was left with her two sons. You gotta understand, widows had no rights. They basically were beggars. Okay? So she doesn't have a husband, but she has two sons. So she's pretty well, she feels secure in that. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. Now some translation some interpreters say that there was a battle, and these two individuals were killed in the battle, killed in the war. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Woo. Now we've got a very great need. That great need is 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 worse than the famine back home. So so things are starting to got to bring change again. Verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So she believed and believed that God had brought prosperity back to Bethlehem, back to the area and things were going well. She and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So, important story. Both daughter-in-laws are going with Naomi. Now, that's a a significant, that's a very significant thing. Why would they go with Naomi back to a foreign land? Their families are there. Their, Their parents are there. For some reason, Naomi has made such an impact on these two individuals, these two uh, daughter-in-laws, that they are traveling with her back to Bethlehem, back to Jerusalem, the the area. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So she's reflecting what kind of individuals they've been, complimenting them, telling them how how good they've been to her and to her, her sons. May the Lord grant each of you will you find rest in the home of another husband. So she believes that God has a plan for the, her two daughter-in-laws. When she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. <laughs> Naomi, you have no, she's, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Why would you come to a foreign land and be beggars like I'm going to be? Um, and I can't do anything for you. Even if I got married today and had children, you wouldn't wait 20 years for them to, be, to grow up to be your husband. You need to go back to your, ha- to your family and, and get married again and live on. You're still young women. Well, uh, verse... Um, 13 says it is it is more bitter for me than for you because the lord's hand has turned against me see naomi feels god has forsaken her she has done something wrong perhaps the idea of moving out of bethlehem and, back and going to moab perhaps she feels the weight of that decision and that god's hand is against us now because we made a mistake See, there's so many times people feel that they've made mistakes and God's hand is against them because bad things have happened. Well, maybe it is bad things that have happened because of the decision we made, but perhaps her sons and husband would have died if they had stayed in Israel. We don't know. But we do know that he made this decision, and she feels that God has has, um, turned against her. Fourteen. And as they wept again, Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. You know, Orpha and Ruth, no matter what someone says, we are always responsible for our decisions. No matter how bad the situation is, we are still responsible for our decisions. So whether it was Orpha going back, whether it was Ruth clinging, staying where you go, I'll go, or whether it was um, Naomi and her husband and two sons leaving Israel, going down to Moab, we don't know what it was, but we're all responsible for the decisions we make, and so therefore, we can't look at our life and say, oh, God's against me now. Look at at all the bad things that have happened. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to a people to her gods, go back with her. You see, your sister-in-law has sins. <laughs> what you're doing makes no sense, Ruth. You need to go back, just like your sister-in-law is doing. You need to go back to your people. Verse 16. This is the. This is, I think, one of the one of the great scriptures, just like in Esther, where it says. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom of God for such a, king, such a time as this? You know, who's, who knows whether you've become a queen for such a time as this? Well, here is the, the, the tipping point for Ruth's life. Don't urge me to leave, verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you, to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. There where you die I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. <laughs> the decisive factor for Ruth. I am going with you and nothing can separate us and not even and death is the only thing that will separate me from you. This was her commitment. This was Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law. And you know, it was a great commitment. It was, it, was a, it was a life-altering commitment because they are destined in their society and in the picture of their life, they are destined to be beggars. And so Ruth is saying, I will be a beggar with you and may nothing but death separate us. Well, verse 19. So the two women... Went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman exclaimed, "Come see Naomi." Verse twenty, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. You see, whenever we're talking about Mara or bitter, we're we're saying that um, bitter, angry. Hurt, resentful, God has made me this way. Did you ever see the, the, the anger becomes their motivation? You ever see people like that? You know, once in a while you run across people that they are angry all the time. They are bitter at life. They, they don't like life. They don't like people. They don't like anything they're against. And it's just like their bitterness has become their motivation for life. And um, Naomi is saying God has taken away everything that was important to me, and God has made me bitter. It's almost like saying, I hate God. Look what he has done to me. She doesn't say that, almost like that. Well, what do we do with bitter moments? What do we do with bitter things? Remember back when bitter, we don't look for bitter tasting things? We look for the things that taste good to us, whether it's just plain old water or salts or water or, or whatever type. We're looking for things that appeal to our taste, bitterness, bitter herbs. Cranberries are not often the thing that we drink. Straight cranberry juice is good for you, but I don't know if you have cranberry juice in your refrigerator. Generally, it's whenever you have kidney problems. <laughs> you, you, want, you want to take it on. What do we do with our bitter moments, our bitter experiences? Do we blame God? Or do we trust God? And it's not an easy stance. It's not something that comes easy. It's something that we have to work through and continue to trust even when we don't understand. She wanted to change her name. She went down to the post office and said, I'm changing my name. (laughs) I I don't want to be Naomi, I want my name to be bitter. <laughs> so when people look at me, they say, here comes bitter. <laughs> Not, here comes blessed. Throughout the book, God worked in His providential way for her and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative in, uh, on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. You see, when Ruth said, I'm going to go with you, I'm also, I'm going with you to to take care of you. And you see, Ruth did not come to die. Ruth didn't come to be bitter. Ruth came to provide a need for her mother-in-law, even though her husband had died. She found a way to be that support to her mother-in-law. Naomi said to her, well, go, you can go. She got permission from her mother-in-law to go because she knew that they had to eat. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And I I thought of, in Philippians, where Paul is writing, uh, chapter 2. We find in Ruth the character that Paul writes out for us. So then, my dear friends, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So then, my dear friends, as you have always found my advice, that you not only, when I am present with it, so now that I am far away, be keener, that even, that ever... To work out your salvation that God has given you with proper sense of awe and responsibility. Work out your own salvation with proper sense of awe and responsibility. Work out your life. Don't sit in in the corner thinking life is over. Get out there and for it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Wow, that's Ruth. <laughs> and we, we go on verse chapter four verse 14 and 18. Do you have to do without do all you have to do without grumbling and arguing? <laughs> Ruth doesn't grumble. Boy, this is bad. I should have stayed home. I should have went back with my parents. She doesn't grumble about where she's at. Do 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 all of you have do excuse me? All you have to do without grumbling and arguing so that you may be God's children, blameless, sincere, wholesome, living in a warped and diseased world and a shining like lights in the dark. <laughs> don't, spend, don't spend your life in vain. And then I go back to verse two and th- chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. This is a, the perfect reflection of Ruth. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others this is Ruth (laughs) this is her character we see that in Ruth she is living out this godly character so even she's from a a Moabite she worships other gods but there was a heart, she had a heart that was different than the others in her tribe and in her clan. She found a likeness in the life of, of, of Naomi. She found something in Naomi that Naomi had completely forgotten about and covered up with the death of her sons and, and the death of her husband. She, she kind of covered it up with all that bitterness. But before the bitterness took over, I think Ruth saw Something in her mother in law that matched what was in her. Huh. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and when he went to her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. You see, there was a plan, there was a purpose. Naomi couldn't see it because of the bitterness. And whenever God, the providential care of God is going on, we have to go through the difficulties. We have to look beyond the difficulties. That's where our faith comes in. That's where our understanding that God has promised good to us. Where when things, bad things happen to good people, we've got to see that God has a plan and a purpose. And in his providential care, I'm not going to become bitter and allow bitterness and anger to be the motivation of life. My love for God and God's love for me will be the foundation upon which I stand. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. You see, the people could not accept Naomi as Mara. She may have said, I'm bitter, but the people said, that's not who you really are. And whenever all this came together for Ruth, marrying Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, you see, there's a number of pictures going on in this this book. One of them is the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. He is a a type of Jesus Christ. He purchased Ruth, (laughs) and she became his wife. But in this also, we find Ruth having enough faith to stick with her mother in law. Go through the difficulties. And may, verse 15, may he be to you a restorer of life. Naomi, may Boaz be to you a restorer of life. May Jesus Christ be to you a restorer of life. Don't be bitter. Look beyond the difficulties, look beyond the decisions. Look beyond the scale that says bad, worse, never get any better. Look beyond those things and see that God has a purpose. Because the restorer of life is Jesus Christ. And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons. (laughs) Seven sons. If you had seven sons, they could not be any better to you than... One Moabite woman, Ruth. You see, that's the character of Ruth. is so different than other people because of what's in her heart. What's in her life and what caused her to say, I'm, <laughs> I'm not leaving you, Naomi. I'm sticking with you. Whether you live or die, I'm, I'm sticking with you the whole way through it. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the, neighbor wo- the neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, King David, who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God brought to Naomi blessings (laughs) better than seven sons. So you see, the events recorded in Ruth were part of God's preparation for the birth of David. The events happening in in the life of Naomi were part of the events that were necessary to prepare the lineage for the birth of David and, of course, of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Just as Ruth was unaware of this larger purpose, we will not know the full purpose and importance of what goes on in our lives until we are able to look back from a perspective of eternity. So we can never give up on the good. We can never give up on the important thing of serving God. We must never allow bitterness to be our motivation. We will make our choices with God's eternal values in mind. Ruth's faithful obedience could not see all the results that would come to her and to her mother-in-law. So we then live in the faithfulness of God, knowing that the significance of our life will extend beyond our lifetime. (laughs) So you see, our rewards aren't just in the scales that balance here and now. The rewards of our lifetime are still to be determined. So we go forward in faith, with faith in mind and an expectation that God will see us through. Our kinsman redeemer, Jesus, will change our life, has changed our life forever. And the blessing that he has promised to us is greater than the blessings that we could ever see or understand. Just as Ruth and Naomi didn't understand the importance of their son till eternity looking back. Wow. The great grandson is the great king of Israel, David. Father, we thank you that we cannot see all of the things that are prepared in our life and going forward in our life. But God, we know there is the providential care of God. And Lord, we know that you promised that all things will work together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Let us follow the purpose of our salvation, serving Jesus Christ, allowing his forgiveness and grace to touch our life and and shape our opinions and shape our desires. Thank you, God, that we are your chosen ones all who believe in you and receive you as, your, as, their, your sa- as their savior, God, you have chosen us. And we accept that choice by our confession of our sins and forgiveness that you give us. So bless our lives. Help us not to evaluate, to be too harsh on our life where we are at. For God, you're not done yet thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers and giving us strength and grace and mercy in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.